You are listening to the Long Hollow Podcast. For more information on Long Hollow or to watch a video version of this podcast, visit www.longhollow.com. I'm going to do something today that I've never done in 20 years of preaching. Um, and that is, I'm going to change the sermon that I was supposed to preach today. <laughs> um, I went to bed last night around 9.30 or 10, which I normally try to get to bed around that time, and started, as I was lying in bed, the Holy Spirit just spoke to me clearly and said, you got to change the sermon for tomorrow, to which I said, I wish you would have told me a little sooner, (laughs) could have worked a little bit more on it, right, but it's kind of how the Lord works with me, and so I didn't sleep all night, if you can imagine, I was restless, at three o'clock, I was wide awake, I I laid in the bed until about four o'clock, and I got up. Got here at four, and uh, myself with Robert, my assistant, who's done some hero uh, on a Google Doc, he just followed along. I just said, you got to follow along, because there's a lot of moving parts to a sermon. You can imagine screens and prompts and all those things. And at four o'clock, the Lord laid this message on my heart that I really believe is what we need to hear today. And the message is entitled, "The, The Fame of Revival Spreads the Flame of Revival. The fame of revival. When we talk about revival, it spreads the flame of revival. I was supposed to preach a series four weeks on the future church. It was entitled, and I felt like, well, maybe I can make this work with future church sermon series. And I I felt like it could work this way. You know, the future church, as we think about Legacy Park, which is about to open, and, you know, Colin says it every week, but this is going to change our community, I think, in a good way. Why? Because our church is now going to move from two days a week to a seven-day-a-week opportunity to bring people to play pickleball and, and basketball and to go fishing in the pond and to join the disc golf uh, pro team that started. That's a joke, by the way. Maybe. I'm praying. I'm hoping, right? Uh, No, but it's going to change our our community with a coffee shop and an outdoor amphitheater and fire pits and you name it. It's going to be awesome. And it's it's an opportunity for us to pass on to the next generation a legacy as we live on. But it's also a reminder for us to look back at the legacy of the men and women who came before us. Because there are faithful men and women who sacrificed and gave financially and gave their time and gave their talents to appreciate what we have here at Long Hollow. And I don't know if you know, but we're, we're in an amazing season right now of what God's doing at our church. And uh, he's doing an amazing work in our life. But we remember also in the past the revival. And the revival that took place here in 2021, really the white hot season was the first six months of 2021, and uh, it, it shows us that whenever God shows up in a church, the church people who were here, some of you were here, are never the same, right? Like when God revives a church, it changes. We can't go back to business as usual. We can't go back to the way it was. When you touch the hem of the garment of God, it affects you, amen? Anybody with me? It affects you. In fact, I would say some of you who were here during that time, how many of you would, by your own admission, just raise your hand and say, hey, it changed me. God touched me. Would anybody raise their hand? Praise God. How many of you would say, I was baptized during that time when we saw almost 1,600 people, amen? So you were here. Now, some of you would say, well, I wasn't here. I heard a little bit about it, but I wasn't here uh, before July or, 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 or August of 2021. So if you've come, just watch this, just show of hands. How many of you have come after August of 2021 in person or online? Raise your hand high so we can see. 
It's a lot of people, right? So let me just kind of relive, just to kind of honor and celebrate what God has done, what God did during that season of revival. The revival started on December 20th, 2020. And that was the time we offered spontaneous baptism, something I'd never done before, never really seen before, during the final in-person services on our campus where we would go online for the next four weeks. If you remember at the time, we were leading the country in COVID cases, which is not a list you wanna be at the top at, right? So we were leading the country at the time and the revival actually didn't start there. It actually started 10 months before that as I sat with the Lord on the porch of my home. And God began to pull back layers of pride and arrogance in, in my own life. And I wanna kind of bring you back to 2020 and uh, just have you kind of remember the scene. So going into 2020, like you, I was not prepared for the challenges that was coming, uh, the challenges that were coming. There were many challenges, if you remember. There was a political landscape we were about to navigate that was gonna literally rip our country in two. It was gonna cause division. There was racial unrest in our country. People who had any kind of opportunity to speak from platforms like this or online, anybody that spoke about anything bifurcated their congregations or communities. They divided the congregations, why? Because every time you said one thing, you made everybody else mad. For example, you need to wear a mask or don't wear a mask, you make everybody mad. You need to get the vaccine, you need to not get the vaccine. You need to come in person or you need to watch online. And so successfully at the beginning of 2020, I made everybody mad, right? I mean, really, everybody was just mad about everything. And so I was teetering on the brink of burnout didn't know it at the time, although I knew something was going on. And I had a, a mentor of mine say, hey, you need to learn about silence and solitude. Now, if you're like me, the, the, the Christian books, and there's only a few of them, that actually talk about the spiritual practice of silence and solitude, only had a chapter about it. And if you're like me, I would see that chapter and either gloss over it or just go to the next chapter thinking, what does a monastery position for monks have to do with my 21st century life, right? And I thought, it's good for them, but that's not really helpful for me. Can everybody amend that? I mean, it's nice, but not for me. And I started to learn about this practice. It was very different than any other spiritual practice I had engaged in. Candy and I, from the beginning of our, our relationship, have always been disciple makers who were pretty diligent in spiritual practices, reading the Bible, hearing from God, fasting, seeking the Lord. So we were big into spiritual disciplines, but this was a discipline unknown to us in the sense of it was different. See, every other spiritual discipline has what I call the law of reciprocity, which is basically when you read the Bible, you get a word from God. When you give, you receive back, the Bible says. When you pray, you get an answer back from God. Silence and solitude, most times you don't have anything tangible in return. Like, like you expect to see like the constellation of the stars in the form of a Hebrew or Greek word, never happened to me, right? A global megaphone from heaven saying, you know, God is, you know, didn't hear any of that. In fact, most of the time I didn't have anything tangible to take from it. But what I learned is this, I thought I was going out there to get something from God what I actually realized is that I was actually getting God. And I wanna speak this to you personally, think about this. God actually misses your company. He actually misses hanging out, just you and him. No agenda, no plans, just being in his presence. I, I, I was not good at that, if you will. Started to learn that silence is 
the way God communicates. In fact, God's first language in the Old Testament was silence. In Genesis, it says he spoke everything out of what? Silence, right? He speaks from the still small voice, which in the Hebrew is a whisper. So if God is whispering, I had too many noises and volume and the culture and the context and social media was so loud, I couldn't hear the Lord. I like to tell people, I had to train myself for 10 months to, to bend my ear to the accent of the Holy Spirit. I was not good at that. And so early on, God had to change my expectations. I remember about two months in, I was sitting with the Lord about an hour, hour and a half, and I was coming into the house as usual, and I just got candid with God, I got real with God. I'm like, God, really? What was that? I got nothing. And as I was walking in the house, the Holy Spirit gently tapped me on the shoulder, and he said, no, actually, you didn't get nothing. You got everything. Because I got you and you got me. And so I had to realize it was more than trying to make a deal with God or use God for something. It was just being in the presence of God. See, the goal was Jesus. And so I remember sitting with the Lord after that and God and I had spent a lot of time together and I started lamenting to him like, like, like I need you to fix the problems at our church, right? Every church has challenges, I knew them all. God, you, while you're at it, fix the problems at Long Hollow. And if you're already fixing the problems at Long Hollow, why don't you work in the staff? We have some siloed staff and different work in the staff. And while you're at it, fix the deacon body as well. We need some continuity there. And, and while you're at it, fix the country as well. And after I had this pity party with God, if you've ever had one, God uh, basically said, are you done, big boy? I said, yeah, yeah, I'm done. And this was the turning point of my life. God said, Robbie, the problem is not with your staff. It's not with the church. It's not with the, with the deacon body. It's not with the community or the country. Actually, the problem is you. The blood clot to revival coming to Long Hollow is you. If you've ever been that gut level honest with the Lord before, it's pretty painful, right? And right away, I started to push back. And I'm like, God, really? Like, am I the problem? I don't think I have any overt, consistent, persistent sin, what if you, which if you would have asked me, I would have said no. But the Holy Spirit has an amazing way, if you're honest and open, to ask him. He has the amazing way of pulling back the outer layer of our lives and putting his finger on the point of the problem in our lives. He's got an amazing way to do that. And he began to show me ways in which I was arrogant. Well, you're so arrogant at times. And, and by the way, you're so prideful. You're the master of fishing in the pond of approval of other people. You know how to ask a question in order to get a compliment better than anybody began to show me. The one that caught me off guard was jealousy. You may be saying, what are, you, what are you jealous of? You have a great church, you have an amazing wife and kids and family and ministry, what are you jealous of? I was jealous if a pastor down the street that I heard baptized more people than we did at Long Hollow. In my heart, I wouldn't say it, but in my heart. I was jealous if a guy wrote a blog post and it had more traction than me. I was jealous if a guy sold more books than me. I was jealous if a person put a post on Twitter at the same time I did and it got more likes and tweets and responses than I did. And the Lord began to show me, Robbie, if you can't pray for the church down the street to be blessed in spite of Long Hollow, I'm never gonna bless Long Hollow. Let me remind you, son, this is not your church, it's my church. And he began to pull back the layers of pride and arrogance. I tell people he had to do work on me before he could ever do a work through me. 
I say this with love to you today, and I want you to receive this the right way. Could the reason revival has not hit your home, your family, your marriage, and our church, could it be you're the blood clot? Could you be the blood clot to revival coming here? And the reason I say that is because I was. And so December 15th, it was a Tuesday night, just like any other Tuesday, most of the time just in silence. It started early on with 10 minutes in March. And by that time, it was about two hours a night just sitting with this insatiable desire to be in the presence of God. I was coming inside and I heard in my ear, people say, was it an audible voice? And my response is, no, it was louder. It was an internal audible voice. I knew it was the Lord because I would have never thought of this. It was two words, spontaneous baptism. And I never heard that before. I wasn't raised in church. I didn't know. I mean, I wasn't raised in a Protestant church. I didn't know spontaneous baptism. And so I went to my staff and I said, here's what the Lord's laid in my heart. And at the same time, God put on my heart a number. It's the only, the only time other than one other time where God has put a clear number on my heart. I shared it with the staff and I wrote it in my journal. This is the first journal entry that I started that I would keep two journals by God's grace through the entire revival. And I'm so thankful now in hindsight that I documented every move of the spirit through the journal. And uh, this is the first page, as you can see. And at the bottom, it says, God gave me the number 100. Now, it's pretty crazy if you think about the context. On December 20th, which was the day we had offered spontaneous baptism, all, uh, all the stakes were against us. In a sense, it was the lowest attended services of all the time I'd been here in five and a half years at Long Hollow. Why? Because we were leading the country in COVID cases. We had sent out an email and said, if you're sick, stay home, which made everybody mad. And for those who weren't mad, we said, if you come to church, wear a mask. And so we picked up everybody else, right? So everybody was kind of mad. Like, was it? So nobody really showed up. And I looked out at the eight o'clock service and I'm like, are there any lost people even in the room? Like who... Who goes to eight that's lost anyway, right? And there's nobody here. And I'm like, really? No offense to the eight, but I mean, you know, different people. Right? But I'm like, is anybody lost here? And, and the Lord just said, no, you trust me. And if you remember, the baptistry was over there at the time. We had one baptistry. At the height of it, we had three, if you remember. But in the beginning, it was one. And I gave the invitation. And one of our deacons came over and reminded me this morning. He said, I was there. And I remember when you gave the invitation, nobody moved nobody. It's almost like God called my bluff. You know, it's like, really? I almost shut it down. I'm like, all right. It's a, but I was like, no, I'm just going to wait. And he said, and all of a sudden, if you remember, one lady stood up. And once she went, people started going. We baptized 25 the first service. It was unbelievable. I've never seen anything like it. I'll tell you the story because I got time. I went in the green room after the first. I don't have time in the other two services. This is the, blow, <laughs> it's the bonus of 11. Amen? Right? Tell you the backstory, which is really a cool story. So after the first service, we go into the green room, uh, kind of eat. Back then, I used to eat breakfast. I don't anymore, but back then, I would eat like between services. And uh, we get a knock on the door, and it was one of our staff members, and they said, "Hey, I hate to bother you, but we have a girl who's from Jolton. She actually watched the service online at the first service, and she just drove here, and she's asking if you can baptize her." And I jokingly say, "Can we?" She like between services, and I jokingly say, "Can we do that?" I've never done that before, you know? Like, you would do whatever you want, Pastor. So I walk out, go to the tank. The girl gets in the baptistry, and I ask her a question. And this is the question and response I get from almost every one of the 1,600 people over the next 12 months. Or 12, yeah, 12 months. This is the same response. I said, why did you come here? You could have gotten a lot of churches between here and Jolton. Here's what she told me. It would be the mantra of the revival. The Spirit of God compelled me to come. I had to. 
We baptize her, I'm praising God. We go back in the, in the back room and all of a sudden I get a knock 10 minutes later. Another staff member, hey pastor, sorry to bother you, I know the service is gonna start in 10 minutes. But we just had a biker drive up in the parking lot on a Harley, he's got a biker jacket on. He said that he watched the first service and he came here for you to baptize him. And when I walked out of that service like you, I thought something is different today. This is not business as usual. We baptized him at the end of that service. You can look at the numbers at Long Hollow, Hendersonville. This is when we had our Gallatin campus. We baptized 25 in the first, 62 in the second, one at Gallatin in the first, 10 in the second, and one online for a total of 99. Now I'm convinced somebody baptized themselves in a tub at home somewhere <laughs> for the 100, but I, don't, I can't prove it. But, uh, but regardless, I went home after that day. If you can imagine, I was blown away. Never seen anything like this. And I get back that night to the porch and the Holy Spirit is waiting for me just like he had waited every other day for 10 months. And I'm just talking to God like you would. I'm like, God, what just happened? I, like, I've never seen anything like this in COVID. Like, what, what just happened? And I thought it was done. And I'm just telling the Lord, I'll tell my kids and grandkids, we'll talk about this forever. And as I was closing my eyes and just sitting with the Lord, I got this image in my mind. It was the image of heavy raindrops falling before the torrential downpour that was coming. No one knew that in the next 15 weeks, we would see over 1,000 people come in to be baptized here at Long Hollow. Seven, yeah, praise the Lord, amen. We saw people from 17 different states fly in to be baptized. And I would ask two questions as they would go into the tank. I would say, number one, hey, where are you from? And they would say, Maine. Wow, where are you from? Montana, oh really? Where are you from? Washington State. Where are you from? Idaho, I couldn't believe it. Never said one time, come fly in and be baptized. And I asked them, why did you come? And again, they would say it's some form or fashion. The spirit of God compel me to come. And so Monday, I, I called my staff and did something radical. Remember, we're online now for the next four weeks. We're not meeting on campus. We're online only because at that time, we're leading the nation. And so we're online only. And I decided to call a Tuesday night, if you remember, baptism-only service. My staff said, what are we going to do? I said, I don't know. Play music and fill the tanks. And, we, and that's what we did. And, and if you came, remember, it watched online, we saw 81 people on a Tuesday night come out in tears. Some of you in this room, I baptized. Some of my friends, some of our deacons, we baptized. And for the next four weeks online only, we saw people coming. Now we didn't have anybody in the room or weren't supposed to, but people would knock at the doors. People would show up early and they would say, we're here to be baptized. And then the word got out that if you came with the quote baptism party, then you could sit in and watch the live service. So that was a whole nother conundrum. But anyway, <laughs> we, we baptized in that four weeks leading up to January 19th, I think it was, we baptized another 200 plus people. So we went into the live service again with 295 people being baptized online only. 15 weeks, we saw over a thousand people baptized. Now, why in the world am I sharing this with you today? Here's why. Because when God touches a congregation of people, when God touches a church, when God rests upon a church, the church people are never the same. Do you agree with that? And at that moment, because God rested on Longha, because we touch for a moment the hem of the garment of God, I believe we are now stewards of that moment. 
I wanna be a church, I don't know about you, that is an epicenter for revival. I wanna be a church filled with people that are super sensitive to a move of the Holy Spirit of God. I wanna be a people of God who are longing for more of God and not satisfied with synthetic substance version of God that's like sugar that tastes good and then fades away. I want a long move of the Spirit of God. I want people who are desperate for God, amen? That's what I want. I wanna be a part, I wanna be that guy, amen? So here's the question, yeah, praise God. Here's the question, how does that happen? Here's what I'm gonna show you. In scripture, this is the principle of God. Before God can ever birth or rebirth something, there has to be a death. This is the principle of God. I had to die on the porch before God could work in me and through me. The death of Robbie, the death of dreams, the death of goals, the death of my plans, so that God could work in me to work through me. I wanna show it to you in scripture. If you have a Bible, turn to John chapter 12. And I wanna show you in scripture this principle. And once you understand this, you'll understand why Jesus speaks so much of death and Paul speaks so much of death, why? Because there has to be death before they can be, there can be life or rebirth or revival. There has to be death. John chapter 12, verse 23, we like to say word at Long Hollow. If you're there, you can say word. The word of the Lord. Jesus replied to the crowd and said, the hour has come for the son of man to be glorified. So what he's saying is, I'm about to be glorified and he's gonna show us the pathway to glorification. Truly I tell you, unless a grain of wheat falls into the ground and what? Dies. It remains by itself, but if it dies, it produces much fruit. What he's saying is, before growth and life can happen, there has to be death. The one who loves his life or her life will lose it. But the one who hates his life in this world will keep it for eternal life. Here's what Jesus is showing us. Unless the grain of wheat dies, it cannot grow. It cannot give life. Another way to say it is this. Jesus knows that the road to Calvary, or I'm sorry, the road to glory intersects the cross of Calvary. What do you mean? Jesus knows that in order to give resurrection life to his followers, he has to go through the grave to conquer death, hell, and the grave, and to overcome the grave to give us life. There has to be a death in order for there to be a life. Let me say it this way. In order to have revival, which technically spiritual revival is God blowing upon something, God giving life to dead bones that were once dormant or dead, and then God revives or gives life to them. Now, what does that have to do with us? Well, that's what happened at salvation. Think of what Paul said. If anyone is in Christ in here, he or she is a what? New creation in Christ. The old has passed away, died. Passed away means died. You know, when someone passes away, death. The old has passed away. Behold, all things have become what? New. Revival is a reawakening of something dead or something that is dormant. Now, if that's the case, many of you, like me, are praying for revival. You may not be praying for national revival, but I believe we're all praying for revival in our homes. If you have children, you should be praying this way. Amen? If you have grown grandchildren or children, you should be praying this way. If you're in a marriage, you should be praying this way. If you're working a job, you should. we're all praying for revival maybe in our homes, maybe in our relationships, maybe in our marriages, maybe in our church, maybe in our community. Did you ever think that before God sends revival nationally 
or locally, he has to send it personally. What do I mean? Before revival comes to your family, it may have to start with you, brother. It may have to start with you, mom. It may have to start with you, student. Isn't any wonder Jesus said, if anyone would come after me, he must deny himself or herself, pick up his what? Remember this? Cross daily and follow me. That was a shocking statement to the first century. Shocking statement. Why? Because Jews did not employ crucifixion as a manner of death. Did you know that? How did Jews kill or execute someone who went against the law? Do you remember how they did it? It was stoning. In fact, remember when Jesus goes up to the mountain of Nazareth and they try to throw him off the mountain and what do they do? They're getting ready to stone him with the stones and kill him. The Jews knew nothing about crucifixion. That was a Roman practice. So why in the world would Jesus, for shock value, tell him crucifixion? Because crucifixion was a way of decimation. Crucifixion was a way of destroying someone once and for all. What Jesus is saying is this. It's not a physical death, although it could be. For the apostles, it was. But it is a spiritual death. It's an emotional death in your life. Friends, you and I must die, don't miss this, so that Jesus may live through us. Let me say it this way. Before God could ever use you fully, he must own you completely. (laughs) Let me say that again. Before God ever uses you fully, he must have you completely. Last week I was, Robert and I flew to Chicago Uh, to preach at a church plant. It was the first church plant of um, Harvest Bible Chapel, a pastor named James McDonald. If you heard of him years ago, he used to have a a radio ministry called Walking in the World, really prominent at one time. And uh, he was the pastor of, of Harvest Bible Chapel, planted this friend of mine named Ron who had planted this church and had been there 20 years, really great church there. And so we went and did a men's conference there. And uh, I knew Chicago because I'd known what it was like not long ago. You have to know in the church world at one time, Chicago had two of the largest churches in America in one city, Willow Creek with Bill Hybels and Harvest Bible Chapel with James McDonald. Sadly, if you look at the state of their ministries today, both of these men were asked to leave or removed from their ministries. And again, I'm not not here to throw stones or condemn or just, I don't know anything. I don't know all the backstory about their ministry, but I do know this, when the plan landed, I knew I wasn't in, in Hendersonville for two reasons. One, it was zero degrees. Okay, I knew that, which felt like negative 15. And by the way, if anybody's from the, the North or, or, or the Midwest or anywhere, that kind of cold is not this kind of cold, by the way. Because we left, it was 40 degrees there. I felt like I was in Alaska. We flew in and landed, it was 40 degrees here. I felt like it was back home, but it's different. Not only was the temperature different, but the climate was different. Why? Because the wreckage of the two towering ministry leaders, and I uh, just felt this, was looming over the city still like a dark cloud. And it wasn't in the ministries they had left, although there was wreckage there. It was in the carnage that was left in the hands of the her church members who, was still, who were still trying to pick up their lives after what was done. And many of them, and a lot of them were at the church we were at. And I was just... I was just humbled and I was, 
I was awestruck and I had a reverence for it and I had a fear, a holy fear, because here's what I, Robert and I talked about. None of these guys, neither of them, I believe, started their ministries out expecting them to end the way they did. None of them. Nobody ever does that. Hey, I'm gonna have a prosperous ministry. I'm gonna be a worldwide name. I'm gonna be a household preacher, but I'm gonna end in a way to get excommunicated from my church. Nobody does that, but it happened. And if it happened to them, I was reminded it could happen to me. Now, I don't know all the reasons for why they fell. Maybe it was the notoriety they were getting from the world. Maybe it was, quote, the fame that they were receiving from church folk, I don't know. Maybe it was the popularity online or for having a radio ministry, who knows. But I do know something that I believe in, and that's this. Rockstar Christianity is killing the American church. See, because a rock star is always about promoting self. A rock star is always about building his brand or her brand. A rock star entertains people. It's all about them. And if we're not careful, Long Hollow, listen, it can happen to us. You know why? Because it happened to me early on. See, I went to seminary unknowingly where people were in my ear and telling me, man, you're, you're, you have to go through the train. You have to climb the, the denominational ladder. In fact, you get your master's degree and then you get your doctor of ministry degree and then, or a theology of ministry degree and then you get your PhD and then the next step, and you were discipled by David Platt. So then the next step is you're the associational president and then you're the state president and then you're the Southern Baptist Convention. And so I started to climb these rungs of the denominational ladder and by God's grace, Thank God I was able to get off before I had climbed too high. Let me remind you, the higher you climb a ladder, there's no graceful way down. And um, people say, well, what was the difference? I started to realize that the, that the line between the, the promotion of Jesus Christ and the platform of Robbie was so blurry, I couldn't tell the difference anymore. See, here's the problem with rock star Christianity. In fact, the New Testament rock stars, the apostles, were all martyred for the faith they believed in. That's the difference. See, in the, in the modern world, you get celebrated. In the, in the ancient world, you got killed for what you believed in. See, none of these men were pampered with posh lifestyles. They were persecuted for what they believed. None of these men had platforms, but what they did have, they wouldn't trade for anybody, and that was the power of the Holy Spirit in their lives. See, one of the things, let me remind you of, God does not want you to be famous. God wants you to be faithful to him. God doesn't want you to be known. God wants you to be known by him and fully loved by him and to make him known to the world. Now, how do I know that? Because Paul said something mind-blowing to the early Christians when he said this line in the book of Corinthians. He said, you are the temple of the Holy Spirit, which was, which was hard for them to hear. Why? Because the temple was the epicenter of spirituality for the nation. It was the place in the Old and New Testament where heaven and earth met together. And yet Paul is gonna say, now it's not a place made by hands, it's a group of people filled by God, New Testament believers, you and I. And if you study anything about the temple, particularly the tabernacle, you notice there's always an inner chamber or a throne room, follow me. In the temple, there was a throne room. And in the throne room was where the presence of God resided. 
And one thing we know about the presence of God is that you can't have two kings operating and occupying the same throne. So let me ask you, brother or sister, who is on the throne of your heart right now? See, either Jesus Christ is ruling and reigning or you are. And one of the things God showed me in the revival is, Robbie, God showed me, I will not share the platform with anyone, including you. I believe many Sundays, pastors get up on platforms just like I did for many years, and the Holy Spirit of God is waiting outside the building saying, hey, when you're done and you need me, I'm just a call away, but you got this. Just let me know when you're ready. I believe the same could be said of your home. The same could be said of your business. The same could be said of your ministry. During the revival, I had a call with one of my mentors, Dr. Don Wilton. You may not know Don Wilton as the pastor of the First Baptist Church of Spartanburg, South Carolina, but you may know the person he is the pastor of, self-proclaimed by the man he was the pastor of for about 20 years, Dr. Billy Graham. Dr. Billy Graham said that Don Wilton was his pastor, and when his wife uh, died, he was actually resigned to the home, and he would watch Don on the TV. As crazy as it is, for the last 15 years of Dr. Graham's life, Dr. Wilton would actually drive from Spartanburg, South Carolina. This is crazy. He did this every week. From Spartanburg, South Carolina, he would make the trek up to Montreat, North Carolina, and he would spend every single Saturday with Dr. Graham. He would read scripture. He would pray. He would hear revival stories from a man who has seen more people come to faith in Jesus Christ than anyone before or after. Dr. Wilton told me that uh, he was writing a book at the time. It's out right now if you're interested. It's called Saturdays with Billy. Such a cool, such a cool idea. Well, I had always looked up to Dr. Graham like a lot of you, really more so because I had written my dissertation in seminary on how to give an evangelistic invitation. And so I'd studied different books, but one of the models I used obviously was Dr. Graham. And uh, he was kind of a hero to me like you. He was a man who from start to finish lived a life that was unstained by immorality or sin or controversy. So it was a big deal when in 2015, Dr. Wilton called me on the phone. He said, Roby, he's from South Africa. He said, Roby, meet me at my house. We're going to meet Dr. Graham. And uh, his son, Rob, who's our friend, and he's preached here before, and myself went up to Montreat, North Carolina and went to the home of Dr. Billy Graham. This is a picture of us on the 100 plus 200 acre property uh, as we're standing outside of his home. When we went into the home, Rob started to read scripture. Dr. Wilton said, hey, why don't y'all read the book of Acts to Dr. Graham? Now you think how humbling this is. Two young seminary graduates and in school, young pastors reading arguably one of the greatest evangelists ever, the greatest revivalist ever about the revival of the book of Acts. You talk about humbling. And then at the end of that, Dr. Wilton came in and said, uh, Roby, tell Dr. Graham your testimony. I said, I'd love to. And here's me. This is a picture captured right before Dr. Graham said these words. After I finished, he said, the gospel still saves. Isn't that true? Amen? Isn't that true? And uh, before Dr. Graham died, he asked uh, Don, he said, I want you to preach my funeral. And what an honor. I mean, this isn't just a national event. This is a global event. This is a worldwide event, right? And so he said, but I have one request from you, Dr. Wilton. He said, I don't want you to speak about me at all. 
I don't want, he said, I don't want you to mention my name. And Dr. Wilton said, well, well Dr. Graham, that, that's not a bad thing. He said, it's, it's okay to mention people's name. The Bible has a bunch of examples of God using men and women and mentioning their name in the Bible. And so Dr. Graham looked at him and said, okay, you can mention my name, but don't, don't do it much. And he said this, make much of Jesus for me, will you? When I heard that, I thought, would I say that? And then I started to ask the question, where are the men and women like that today? Where are the pastors like that? Where are the people of God that, like that today who would say, I want nothing less and no one more than Jesus Christ? Friends, let me remind you, God is not looking to anoint or, or bless another initiative. He's not looking to anoint or, or bless an idea or an innovation or, or, or a slick model or a slick method. God's plan from the beginning uh, to the end of the Bible is always to bless men and women. That's how he works. In fact, Ian Bounds, the great author on prayer, said it this way. I love this quote. God's plan is to make much of the man or the woman far more than anything else. Men are God's method. The church is looking for better methods. God is looking for better men. The Bible says it this way, the eyes of the Lord look to and fro on the earth for a heart that is completely turned toward him. I don't know about you, but I wanna be that man, amen? If you're a woman, you, you should say, I wanna be that woman. The Holy Spirit of God anoints not programs, but people. That's how it works, men and women. The Holy Spirit is not looking to anoint a method or a model. He's looking to anoint a man or a woman. He's not trying to dwell in buildings made by hand. He's trying to use hearts made by him. That's what he wants to do. That's always how he works. Here's what I want you to do for a moment. Just exercise. Put, put your Bible aside and, and your notepad. If, if you're driving, don't do this, but put your hands out. Put your hands out in front of you for a moment. I want you to look at your hands. And not just the physical hands, but I want you to look spiritually and emotionally at your hands. If you're holding a crown right now that fits on your head, you're not following Jesus. If you're exalting self with these hands online, you're not following Jesus. That's what the Bible says. If these hands are not carrying a cross, then you're not following Jesus. Look at me. In just a moment, I'm going to ask you to come lay your life before God and to leave it for his disposal. I'm going to ask you today, are you willing to give God everything today, everything you are, all that you have? Will you lay your life down for God so that he can raise it up and use it for his glory? See, the question becomes, when you hear the text, deny self, pick up the cross, the question becomes, well, how do I deny myself? How do I pick up the cross? How do I die to self? And I don't know all the reasons, but I know it works for me. And so here's how it works for me. Every time my mind thinks of Robbie, I replace it, and it's all the time, by the way, I replace it with Jesus. See, here's what I had to do. Boy, it was hard. I had to come to God and take my goals and my dreams, and my aspirations, and my expectations of what I thought a ministry would be like for me, and I laid them down at the feet of Jesus, and I let him do what he wanted with them. 
See, here's what I had to do. I had to stop telling God how to do his job better. I was really good at that. See, my prayer life, like yours probably now, this is how my prayer life was. It was one-sided, short, and shallow. It consisted of a lot of talking and trying to tell God, if you would just anoint and honor these agenda items, everything would go better for me. And I would bring this blueprint to God and express him, expect him to rubber stamp it for my good. And God said, Robbie, if you wanna do that, that's fine. If you wanna keep trying to get your agenda into my kingdom, keep talking. You're really good at that. But if you wanna know what my agenda is from the kingdom of heaven and see the kingdom working in you to work through you, you're gonna have to do a whole lot more listening. I was interviewed recently on a podcast and one of the people asked me, what's the difference between your prayer life post and pre-revival? I thought that was a good question. And I said, well, prior to the revival, my prayer life consisted of 90 to 95% of me talking to God and about 5% listening. Post-revival, it consists of about 95% listening and maybe 5% talking, maybe. Because why? I wanna bend my ear to the voice of God. See, here's what I had to do, and this is gonna be hard for some of you. I had to let go of the control I thought I had of the life I thought I was living. Say that again. I had to let go for God of the control I thought I had of the life I thought I was living. What that means is this. That means in a moment, you're gonna come with everything in your life and you're gonna lay your life at the cross of Jesus Christ and you're gonna let it die. You're gonna let your business die. You're gonna let your expectations die, your goals die, your, your assumptions die. And you're gonna say, God, if you want to resurrect it, so be it if you want to. But if you don't, here's my challenge, don't you dare resuscitate it. You let God bring it back. And then after you do that, you say, Holy Spirit, would you search me and know me? If there's any evil thing within me, Give me clean hands and a pure heart so that I might not lift my soul to vanity nor swear deceitfully. Restore to me today the joy of my salvation. Friends, before you attempt to ask the Holy Spirit to fill you, let me remind you, you can't be full of self and full of the Spirit at the same time. So you're gonna have to confess to the Lord. And you may be wondering, why are you preaching on revival today? Why the hard turn from the series you were supposed to be in. Well, I don't know if you know this, but there's an actual genuine revival happening right now. I don't know if you know this, like right now in our country. In fact, not far away, three hours from where we are in Wilmore, Kentucky. It's at a place called Asbury University. Now, this is not a school that uh, hasn't seen a move of God through the ages. In fact, there have been multiple times where God has rested upon this university. It goes back to the turn of the century. I think they had one in the 1950s, where for like 60 straight hours, they were in the presence of God. But, but the one you may remember happened on February 3rd, 1970. 1970, it was led by, uh, actually started by a man named Custer Reynolds. He got up to preach that day. He was the dean of the school. And he had this sermon he had crafted for the, for the chapel. And uh, he said, as he was going up, the Holy Spirit spoke to him and said, don't do that. I want you to just give a testimony, which he did. He gave the testimony. And at the end of it, unprompted, one of the students in the school came up and asked for the mic. And before the entire congregation, the student body, he began to confess personal sin to them. 
And after he had confessed sin, the power of God had so descended upon that place, no one wanted to leave. In fact, it had descended in such a way that they canceled classes for the next seven days because they wanted to be in the presence and the power of God. In fact, the chapel was, was continually with students worshiping God around the clock continuously for 144 unbroken hours, continuously, day and night. And so they were used to revival. Well, guess what? The same place God decided to show up again. Last Wednesday, February 8th, you can go look at it online at Asbury University. They were getting ready for a chapel service and just like any other chapel service at the time, but it was anything but normal. Zach Merkreebs was the pastor of a church that uh, was not far from there. He had gotten up to preach a sermon he had prepared on Romans 12 about love and action. And he said when he had finished the sermon, he sat back at a seat in the front and they played a worship song and they dismissed the crowd. And he said he was walking out the building and noticed that there was about 30 students from the school who asked if they could continue to worship just the 30 of them when everyone dismissed, which they allowed. And this pastor Zach said he got out to the parking lot and something told him to go back into the building that God wasn't done. When he turned around and went back into the building, he said he, was come, he had come face to face with the presence and the power of God in a palpable way. People started coming back to the school. Students started flooding back in. People started to drive from all over the city and now all over the world. A good friend of mine from Arkansas drove nine hours one way to get there last night. He wrote a, he wrote a blog about it. You can read it on my Twitter. I reposted it. They have been in revival. You ready for this? For 94 consecutive hours since last Wednesday. Yeah, praise God, amen. I mean, this is what's been happening. One article wrote on what was happening. The Kentucky uh, newspaper said since then it hadn't stopped. It's been a mixture of testimony and prayer and confession and worship and silence. And here's what they said. I thought this was fascinating. It is a full experience of the Holy Spirit of God. He said some students have come and gone, but most have been sleeping on the floor because they don't want to evacuate themselves from the presence and the power of God. I'm praying about driving tomorrow morning to Kentucky. Why? Because once you touch the hem of the garment like we have, you can't get enough of God. And as I was praying about that this morning, when the Lord had me up, the Lord began to show me, why would you have to go there when I can send revival here? You with me? See, Jonathan Edwards said it this way, when God's people begin to pray, that's revival. It's not the means to revival, no. When the people of God begin to cry out to God, that's when revival comes. When we get serious about God, serious about more of God. I had a friend of mine I was talking to just this past week, said he came and did a student event at Long Hollow. And he said, when I drove onto the campus, he never told me this, he said, when I drove onto the campus, I was hit with the power of God in such a way in the parking lot that I'd never experienced in a church before. I don't know about you, but I want more of God. Friends, I'm here to tell you, there is more of God to have, amen? I remember when, yeah, well, I remember when I used to come in these services, I'm just telling you. I remember when I would come to these services and I was expecting God to move. I would look out at the congregation as if the floor of our sanctuary was filled with gasoline and God was ready to drop a match on it at any moment. 
You know what that is? That is an expectation that is met with an encounter from God. Let me ask you, and I want you to be honest. Did you come this morning expecting God to move? If you're honest, you probably said, no, I just came to hear a sermon and I can go to lunch after. I just came because my wife wanted to come. Friends, here's what I, want, I know about God. There's only two places the presence and the power of God dwells, two places. In the high and holy place, the Bible says, and in the lowly place with the humble and contrite of heart. The humble and the remorseful. So here's what we're gonna do. As I was praying this morning, Lord, what kind of invitation would you ask me to lead our congregation? And I'm gonna ask every single person in here to respond. And here's the response. I'm gonna ask every person, whether you've been here for 20 years or this is your first time, or maybe you're close to God or far from God, doesn't matter. I believe everybody in here wants and needs a revival. And I believe when the people of God in a concerted way cry out to God, he hears the cries of his people. And so here's what we're gonna do. We're gonna come forward and we're gonna wait upon God. Every great movement of God begins by not moving. And so I'm gonna invite you now, and I promise you in the front, you wanna come because we'll all come. I'm gonna invite you to come join me here at the front. I'm gonna pray with you and kneel with you. And I'm asking for every person to kneel. And the challenge for you, brother, you think, well, I don't kneel before God. Before you can stand tall before God, you gotta learn how to stoop low. And so I'm gonna ask you to come. Come with your family, come with your wife, come with your children. We're gonna kneel in every place, every square inch of this place, I want to be filled with the body of Christ kneeling and crying out in a, in a posture of humility before God to revive us, to revive our families, to revive our marriages, to revive our, our, our relationships, to revive our businesses, our ministries. The wayward son that you've been praying for, this is the moment we're gonna pray for him. The, the daughter that's addicted to drugs and alcohol, the parenting that's been challenging, the son with a disability or the, or the daughter with a challenge or disability, you're gonna pray for them now. You're gonna pray for your marriage that's hanging on by a thread. And we're just gonna cry out to the Lord. And so would you come? And we're just gonna take a posture of prayer. If you're here, we got room in the back and go on the sides or we're just gonna bow down before God. And we're gonna come with an expectancy, expectancy to hear God. I just want to lead you for a moment. Would you confess to God right now that you have not called out to him independence for him? That you for far too long have done it in your own power and your own strength. The Bible says God hears the cries of his people. God runs to a repentant heart. It's the only time you're in a rush in the Bible, God is to a repentant sinner. And so if there's something that God is placing on your heart that is a barrier between him and you, would you just confess that to him now? Would you just cry out right where you are? Would you cry out for your marriage? When you're desperate enough, you'll do desperate things. And I believe this is a holy moment for us as a church. We don't wanna miss this, God. When you're out of ideas and you're out of plans and you don't have any more strategies or programs or ways to do that, then you cry out to God, God, would you meet us today? Holy Spirit, would you fall fresh on us today? Open our hearts, God, that we may receive more of you, 
We know at the moment of salvation, we're filled with your spirit, but your word says to be being filled with your spirit. Consume us, God. Mold us, spirit of the living God. Fall fresh on us today. Hear the cries of your people. God, we want more of you. We're not gonna settle for a surface level, level sugar substitute of your glory, God. We know that like sugar, it tastes good in the beginning, but it just wears out and has no lasting effect. And so we pray, God, for something of substance. God, I'm praying for the son or daughter who's wayward right now and for the mom and dad who have prayed endlessly. Would you bring them back first to yourself and then to them? If that's you, would you just cry out to the Lord? Maybe the son or daughter or family member, mother or father, aunt and uncle who is addicted to drugs or alcohol and doesn't think they have a problem. God, would you make it real to them now? Show them that what they're searching for is not found in the, at the end of an empty pill bottle or the bottom of a beer bottle, God, but it's found in a person named Jesus. We believe that, God, for the son who's questioning his faith, or the daughter who's saying God's not real, the Bible's a, a man-made book. God, we pray you reveal truth to them. Show them, Jesus, you are who they're looking for, the confusion of gender and identity now, the confusion of homosexuality and immorality. God, would you show them you have a design for us and to go out of that design. God, we will suffer consequences. We have the right to do that, but we don't wanna do that. God, for the marriages now in this place, some, God, have tried and separated and reunited and separated. And God, I pray what you have joined together, no man shall tear apart in Jesus' name. In Jesus' name, we come against the devil. He's trying to rebuke our marriage. We rebuke you in Jesus' name, Satan. You have no place here. God, we pray that you put angels at the four corners of our homes right now, every home represented in person and online and that you would protect us, you would fight our battle for us. It says that greater is he that is in us than he who is in the world. We are more than conquerors through Jesus Christ who loved us. And if we confess our sin to you, you are faithful and just to forgive us of all unrighteousness. No weapon formed against this place shall prosper. Not because of us, because of one who's conquered death, hell, and the grave. God, we say thank you. Thank you for being a God who's a God of restoration. God, I know there are people in this room today who have lost family members in the last year or two, and there is a hole in their hearts. I know there are parents now who are trying to figure out how to lead their families. And we desperately need help, God. We desperately need help. We need help in our marriages, God. We want more of you. That's what we want. Meet with us, we pray. Meet with us, we pray, God. We're not in a rush today. We want you.